You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome to the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. Well, it's a good thing that we had a couple other segments lined up this week, because I think it might have been sort of a short episode uh, if, if we didn't have that. So we actually do have a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about. I uh, just watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse for the first time last night, so we're going to get uh, a little bit of discussion on that, just kind of freeform. Uh, Our main segment today, the meat of it, is uh, our most recent hidden gem and or guilty pleasure, and that is Eurotrip, which came out in 2004. And then uh, for those of you who want to stick around after the credits, we got a little post-credits sequence for you. We're going to do Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 1. Just came out this Sunday. Uh, We're recording this on, what is it, the Wednesday today? Yeah. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about the much-anticipated Season 8 premiere of Game of Thrones. So uh, stick around for that if you so desire. Um, But, of course, we'll get into all of that uh, when it becomes time. Manny, please tell the people where they can find us on social media if they so desire. They can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can like and follow us on Facebook where we're always loving that people are liking that page and following us even more. They can, if they would love, and we would love it, if they would give us a five-star review and a, and a positive review on iTunes so it will increase our profile and allow more people to find this lovely podcast that we call the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. would be greatly appreciated. And if they want to go a little bit old school, they can contact us uh, by email at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Perfect. So... It is sort of rare for us, uh, Mr. Manny Manuel, to talk about a movie that sort of is piggybacking on an episode that's about another movie mainly. But I did watch uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse for the first time last night, and that was your favorite movie of 2018, correct? It certainly was. And I got a little heads-up tweet from your roommate, Jordan. She's like, I'm about to make Sam watch uh, Spider-Man Into the (laughs) Spider-Verse. And I got a good giggle, and I really appreciated the, uh, the DM from her. Believe me, I was not forced in any way, shape, or form. I've been wanting to watch this movie for a really long time. It obviously won Best Animated Feature. Only the third movie to do so over a Pixar movie, uh, which was Incredibles 2, of course. Um, So I was very curious to see uh, what exactly was going on with this movie. Um, just as a brief recap, uh, do you do you want to say maybe what your general sort of thoughts on Spider-Man were first before I do mine, or should I get into it first? No, I want to hear what you got. People, uh, if people are interested in my thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, then they could go back and listen to our uh, top ten of 2018 episode, which would be roughly, if I'm looking, I don't have it off the top of my head, so about episode 47, roughly. So 47, okay. That's people a, can that, go back and listen to that. That's, that's a nice a, little opportunity for a plug. That's that good. A, that was a guess. I should have had it written down, but that's my bad. Ah, whatever. So, uh, but yeah, I, guess, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, 
this movie was fucking awesome. I loved it. Even as a non-comic book movie fan, I mean, you mentioned to me so many times that you love this movie because, partially because, I guess, you are a fan of uh, comic books in general. This movie uh, is so much more than that, but I, I can definitely see the appeal for comic book movie fans and comic book fans in general. Uh, first of all, this movie looks like a comic book. I didn't really understand what you meant by that when you said it. I totally get it now. It looks like a comic book. The animation is beautiful. It has all of the action lines. It has, you know, uh, when somebody gets hit, it has like a little sound effect, like a zonk or something like that. Um, the animation is beautiful. I love the style. Uh, and I was really moved by this movie. It's really incredibly well written. It's uh, written by Phil Lord, uh, partially, who I believe, uh, if I'm going off the top of my head, also wrote uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Or co-wrote? No. Uh, what, what is Phil Lord? Uh, or is that Deadpool? No. <laughs> what did Phil Lord write? The Lego movie. Uh, okay, there you go. Yeah, uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Yeah. yeah. But there was something else that they wrote that I really liked that I can't remember. Oh, they also wrote uh, 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street, which oh, are both yes. very, very Those funny. Those are the ones that you like. Right, okay. But yes, the Lego movie was mainly the one that I knew them for. Anyway, the writing in this movie is so funny. There's a joke right off the bat. It's a reference to Spider-Man 3, and uh, it's a reference to the scene where Tobey Maguire is like, strutting down the street uh, doing his pelvic thrusts in a really weird way. Yes. Uh, like I was, I was belly laughing through a good portion of this movie. There's some really, really funny moments and, uh, and some really touching moments as well. So, um, yeah, I really just wanted to touch on spider-man briefly i didn't take notes on it when i watched which i typically do when we're planning on talking about it so i don't have really think really anything in depth that i wanted to say i just wanted to let you know manny and let the listeners know that uh the hype is real spider-man into the spider-verse very very good movie i enjoyed the shit out of it nice in retrospect sam would this have made your top 10 of 2018 it easily would have made it. I don't know where it would rank. I'd have to look at it. Yeah. Um, I would not be shocked to see it in the top five, especially oh. given how weak of a year it was for movies. Yeah, but it really was I, a weak year, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I was really touched by by this movie, to be honest with you. It was uh, I, I love the message of it that just anyone oh, can yes. can can be a superhero. The side characters are really funny, the voice cast is hilarious. Uh, I mean, you have Nick Cage in a supporting role. You have John Mulaney as Spider-Ham was really funny. By the way, I, I did watch this on Blu-ray. Um, Jordan did buy this on uh, on Blu-ray, so we watched it together. Mm -hmm. And uh, after the credits, there's a little Spider-Ham short. I don't know if you've seen that. I did. It's, uh, yeah, on the, I've got, the, uh, as I get super douchey, I got the 4K Blu-ray. Oh, wow, the 4K bloody duh, Manny Manuel. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, I saw it. It was uh it was very entertaining. Yeah. I uh I I don't know if I have anything else to say. Um yeah, just people should go see this movie. Um preferably legally, but anyway, anyway possible if uh if not possible to watch it legally. Yeah, obviously I highly recommend this movie being at my number one of 2018. So I, I want everybody to go watch this movie. And anybody listening out there, if they haven't seen it and they follow Sam's footsteps and do take a listen to it, or take a listen to it, take a watch <laughs> to it, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. As I said, this was easily my favorite movie of 2018. So I would love to hear what uh, what our listeners think of my favorite movie of last year. And Sam, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I was pretty sure you would. But yeah. uh, he, hearing uh, how much you enjoyed it uh, just uh, warms my heart. Yeah. And in retrospect, it's 
I, I was really surprised when I was watching the Golden Globes and the Oscars when it won Best Animated Feature over The Incredibles 2, because that never happens. Pixar never loses Best Animated Feature, except for a few very rare circumstances. Um, but in retrospect, it was completely well-deserved. The animation in particular, as long as we're going with Best Animated Feature, oh. the animation is breathtaking. It's amazing it's a, in this it's, movie. In my opinion, it's literally a game-changer. I'd never yeah. seen a film like this before. It was it, it was pretty incredible. I was I was saying wow right off the bat. In fact, I, I gave an example to Jordan as we were watching it together. Um, I, I think it was the uh, the animators in the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit coined this term called bumping the lamp. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it there's a scene in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit where it's just a basic conversation scene and somebody bumps a, a lamp that's hanging overhead. And it creates all these shadows on Roger Rabbit's face, who, of course, is an animated character. So it just make it's completely unnecessary to bump this lamp, but it just gives the scene so much more feeling. And yep. it creates so much extra work for the animators to create all these shadows. So now bumping the lamp is like animator speak for just going the extra mile and just putting things in the movie, which might not even be noticed, but will just create that little bit extra um, they'll, they'll make the universe more tangible, I mm-hmm. guess. Yep. And make make it feel more real. And tell you what, the animators in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse bump the shit out of the lamp. It's, <laughs> it's a pretty remarkable movie, and how much detail they go into in the animation is amazing. Yeah, and the one thing actually I didn't touch on when I gave my review when we listed off our top 10 of 2018 is the score, especially yes. especially when the Prowler was chasing down Miles or somebody else, that score was, it, it got the heart going. It did, absolutely. It was something that I noticed as well. Amazing score and uh, soundtrack in general. Yeah, awesome. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, at, well, obviously not as much as I did, but you still thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. And I guess there is a, a sequel to come as well, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. They definitely greenlit a sequel, but because <laughs> of the the time constraints of animation, we're probably three four years away from seeing it hey i will i will patiently wait yeah i will impatiently wait (laughs) so that is spider-man into the spider-verse um now we get to talk about a movie that is uh, slightly worse (laughs) (laughs) so uh so the name of the segment i will add off the top here is hidden gems and guilty pleasures uh, and we've, uh, focused a little bit more on the hidden gems, uh, side of things in recent memory. So I thought I would go with a guilty, guilty, guilty pleasure. Uh, let's take a journey, ladies and gentlemen, back to the year 2004, uh, and talk about the movie Eurotrip. I am horrified to talk about this movie. <laughs> um, uh, it was, oh, I have everything wait, pulled up. wait. Wait, 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 wait. Just wait. before you dive into the yeah. stats and the and yeah. the build up of your trip, please remind everybody why we watched this movie. I don't know. <laughs> I'm beginning to forget my reasoning. Um I I hadn't seen Eurotrip in a in a while. Um I Manny and I both selected movies uh we used to do competitions to decide who was going to select movies. Uh, we've since just uh, sort of delved into he'll pick one one week, I'll pick one the next week, and, and vice versa. So I, I just wanted to pick one from my teenage years, even though this came out in 2004 when I was a bit younger. I liked this movie when I was a teenager. When I was in high school, I thought it was really funny. I've been waiting for an excuse to rewatch it to see if uh, it holds up. And uh, lo and behold, the hidden gems and guilty pleasures uh, – 
segment uh, presented an opportunity. So uh, I went for it and uh, kind of took a risk on a movie that I haven't seen in some time and didn't know if it was going to hold up. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners about the uh, about the movie Euro Trip, and then we're going to get into your your thoughts on whether or not this 2004 uh, American sex comedy did hold up after 15 years. Yes. So uh, Eurotrip, as I said, was released in 2004, and it was directed by Jeff Schaefer. Yes, that is the Jeff Schaefer. Uh, <laughs> also written by Mr. Schaefer, Alec Bird, David Mandel. Uh, it stars Scott, unpronounceable last name, Jacob Pitts, Michelle Trackenberg, Travis Wester. Uh, it uh, was on a budget of $25 million and came so close to recouping it at uh, $20.8 million. Uh, it was released February 20th, 2004, and it's currently sitting at a whopping 45 Metascore. Uh, did I get everything there? It looks like it. Hold on. Oh, I was no, just kind curi- yeah, of curious what else uh, this Jeff Schaefer guy has uh, directed. Yeah, it looks like uh, he's done some work on Seinfeld. Oh, I'm, I'm as a director, no. Oh, oh, pardon me. Yeah, I'm just looking at the little thumbnail well, he here. What, some, what else has he directed? Uh, some Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh wow! And uh, this was his this was his only feature film uh, directorial credit. And after seeing what it cost and what uh, <laughs> what it made, I can see why. Poor Jeff Schaefer. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I guess usually it's tradition for, uh, I guess the person who did not pick the movie to go first with the spoiler free thoughts. Yes. So if you, uh, we will eventually be spoiling this movie. So if you haven't seen the, uh, 2004 instant classic Euro trip, uh, by all means go watch it if you dare. Uh, but Manny, uh, please give me your initial thoughts and be gentle. Uh, I had seen this back in 2004, not at the theater, but when it came out. This was part of a wave, uh, kind of like the renaissance of the American sex comedy that American Pie had helped revitalize. And there was a whole bunch of movies of this type uh, in the early 2000s. So I checked this out. Back then, I remember watching it and enjoying some parts but it didn't really uh, I guess live up to what I was looking for out of comedies at that time when you pick this movie for us to rewatch I was intrigued at rewatching it as well because I I don't think I have seen this since it came out in 2004 so I was looking forward again, like I had already said, how did it age in 15 years? And I'll tell you this, uh, it didn't age well. It, uh, but, it didn't. It, but it definitely, it was, not a, it was not painful to sit through. I will, yeah. I will 100% give it that. It was not painful to sit through. I definitely have some, uh, there's some stuff in here uh, I had problems with. But there was some stuff in here that was a lot of fun and yeah. uh, very high, very enjoyable. There's there's definitely some some scenes that I I definitely enjoyed. Uh, I'm trying to remember because I kind of tried to get a little bit ahead of our podcast, and I think I watched this last week. Yeah, I think I might have watched it on the Friday, and I honestly can't remember 
if I had any laugh out loud moments. Yeah. There might have definitely been some giggles and chuckles, but I can't remember, like, honestly. Belly laughing. laughing. Yeah. 100% no belly laughs. But definitely some enjoyable moments. But it's, like I said, it's not, it was not a painful sit. It was not a painful watch. And for anybody looking for something kind of easy to enjoy, this would be. Uh, definitely something you can watch. It's only 92 minutes long, so it's not you don't have to power through it. But uh, it was uh, it wasn't it wasn't horrible at all. And I was I was worried that it was going to be a painful sit through. And I'm happy to announce that it was not. Sam, how did Eurotrip hold up for you after 15 years? Well, I'm so happy that you uh, that you you took uh, my plea for you to be gentle seriously um i was <laughs> what was more painful than the rewatch for me not that the rewatch was all that painful what was more painful was uh waiting for your review because i was just anticipating you to tear this movie to shreds because <laughs> i was like fuck what have i gotten manny into this is not his type of movie at all and you by the way always love to talk about the differences between movie and film yeah because i'm a douchebag i'm this a is super a douche <laughs> oh the 100 percent. this is a movie yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Euro Trip after uh, 15 years. Um, let's just say it's not Citizen Kane. Uh, I would go so far, even as the person who chose this movie, to say that this movie's bad. But that's not to say it's without merit. Like I said, I when I was a teenager, I really liked this movie. Uh, I wouldn't say it was one of my favorite comedies, but it was definitely a movie that I enjoyed and watched a couple of times. It's not challenging. It has funny moments. It sort of does the thing that uh, most modern comedy, sort of your Will Ferrell brand of comedy does, where there's not really... I mean, there's there's a very, very loose plot that ties the movie together, and then it's just a series of basically comedy sketches in that sort of context, you know? So in that sort of lens, I think there's a lot of scenes that really work in this movie. There's a lot of scenes that don't. Um, there's, this is one of the reasons I thought it was going to be a short episode today is because there's not really a lot to go through in this movie, right? Like there's, there's not a lot to analyze. There's not going to be a lot of debate. No, basically, basically this movie is going to be, I found this part funny and I didn't find this part funny. That's all the analysis you can really do on this movie, in my opinion, because the rest of it is just brainless i agree like the cinematography is nothing to talk about i don't remember any part of the score as we're going to again we're staying spoiler free so i'm not going to mention but there is a music cue in here that is Mm -hmm. probably the highlight of the film i would agree with that and probably honestly the the music cue that we'll be discussing when we get into spoilers is the legacy of this film i think more people know about this music cue than they do about this movie yeah, honestly, when I when I thought back to uh, when I thought back to this movie and why I wanted to revisit it, that song was one of the sole reasons why I was like, you know what, Euro Trip, yeah, let's uh, let's go back and talk about that. And so, I honestly also forgot on how good the song is. Yeah, it is a very. That's actually, you know what, you said you didn't really notice the score. I haven't really heaped a lot of praise on this movie yet, but I actually really enjoy the soundtrack to this movie. The soundtrack um, is different from the score. Yes, yes, I, I acknowledge that. But um, I sort of grew up on 
like I was born in 96. So this sort of early 2000s wave of punk rock, like pop punk, mm-hmm. uh, that's sort of that's the sort of music that I really grew up on. So there's a lot of that in this movie, oh, uh, yes. especially the music cue you were talking about, that sort of genre of music I really grew up on. Uh, your sort of, you know, Sum 41, Blink-182 style uh, bands. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the soundtrack to this movie personally. That's just one thing, one nice thing I have to say about this movie. Uh, totally. <clears throat> I honestly can't remember, in all honesty, I can't remember a lot of other music cues in this film. So the, I'm, the soundtrack I'm, looking... I'm unaware of, to be honest, except for the one music cue that I will, yeah. I, I honestly won't mention until we get the spoilers. Yeah, there there are a couple. I'm looking at the soundtrack right now. Um, it starts. The movie does start with uh, a French language cover of "My Generation" by the Who. Oh, that's right. I did remember that, which is quite good. Uh, there's also a cover by the band Goldfinger of the song "99 Red Balloons," which I like. Um, there's a really funny uh, David Hasselhoff cue that comes up in the movie. Not that that's really a great song. It's just a funny uh, soundtrack moment. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just a couple other like pop punk songs in this movie mm-hmm. that I, uh, that I enjoyed. Okay. So that's our kind of spoilerific thoughts on our unsorry, uh, not spoilerific, but uh, spoiler free thoughts on Eurotrip. So before we dive into the next part, uh, if you haven't seen Eurotrip, here's your chance to go watch it. Uh, Sam, I'll, I'll let you do the honor since this was your, uh, your movie. Spoilers incoming. Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Here we go. All right. So let's dive into spoilers for Eurotrip. <laughs> okay. So the film begins in the town of Hudson, Ohio, where Scott, Scotty Thomas, is dumped by his girlfriend Fiona immediately after his high school graduation in 2004. With his best friend Cooper Harris, Scotty attends a graduation party that evening where the band performs a song detailing the affair Fiona was having with the band's singer. So uh, the opening of this movie, by the way, Jeffrey Tambor is in this movie, uh, and that's another cameo where I'm just sort of like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I definitely forgot he was in this. I 100% forgot. It's just like, I hope you got paid well, Mr. Yeah. Good Sir. <laughs> you know, the opening of this movie, uh, it, it doesn't really waste time, which I guess I can respect it for at a 92-minute runtime. It can't really afford to. It uh, It doesn't spend a lot of time setting things up it has some very ham-fisted exposition right away where uh they uh they're planning i think he's planning on uh taking an internship at his dad's office this summer and then they're going to go to college together it's very ham-fisted and very bad writing um yeah (laughs) yeah i don't know where you're going i don't know what you're about to say next yeah the breakup scene that was painful to watch and not painful because it like hurt my heart it was poorly executed yeah, I I'm not gonna lie to you. First ten minutes of this movie, I was worried. I was me. I was like, too. oh no, this is going to be much worse than I remember. Yes, I 100 percent agree. And yep. part of that is because the the lead in the movie, uh, whose name is Scott Mechlowitz. Sure, we'll go with that. Yeah, let's just call him Scott. Scott. It always worries me when they have a fresh face somebody who hasn't either been in a lot or has been in nothing. Um, And his real name shares the same name as the main character, which leads me to believe that he might not have uh, the skills to uh, disassociate himself from his real name. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at Scott's unpronounceable last names uh, filmography right now. Uh, This was his second film credit after the other 2004 classic Mean Creek, where he played Marty. I haven't uh, seen Mean Creek. Well, I that is... Uh, in yeah, my, that in, means two of us. 
Hmm. I definitely haven't seen it. I think that might be a horror film, though. Uh, he was on an episode of House, and apparently he's appeared in a movie as recently as 2018, the instant classic Mad Genius. So yeah, yeah. I, I see those. I see those credits. I don't see. Uh, I don't see anything that I really know. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did star in both Cat Run and Cat Run Two, according to his <laughs> filmography. So he's got uh, he's got that franchise uh, going for him. So that's pretty good. All right, so yeah, looking at Mean Creek, the reason that Mean Creek um, uh, uh, striked a chord with me is that it, was, uh, it wasn't a horror, but it's a crime drama, and it got really good reviews because it's got a 74 Metascore. I only Ooh. vaguely, I, I know I haven't seen it, but uh, it's looking like it definitely, got, uh, it definitely got some good reviews in it. Take a quick peek. Uh, yeah, it was a can. It was at the Cannes Film Festival. It won something at the Independent Spirit Awards. Wow. Yeah, good for him. Okay. Okay. So I guess we can talk about how bad the opening is and how boring it is. the The, the funnest part of this movie is in Europe. I mean, it's right there in the name Euro Trip. With one exception. Um, with one exception. Yes. So we're at the party. And again, we referenced this earlier in the episode. We referenced it uh, last week's episode when we were setting this up. Potentially the weirdest cameo of all time. This did come out in 2004 when Matt Damon was still just a B-list celebrity, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, Matt was, Damon. This, this is when he was about to explode. Because, yeah, that's right. Because he was he was filming, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he was filming The Born Identity while this was going on. Yeah. If uh, I'm not mistaken. You would be a better source on that than I would. Um but yeah, I think Matt Damon's cameo in this movie as the lead singer of the band singing Scotty Doesn't Know is, I mean, we usually do our, our favorite scene in these things and we usually do it at the end, but it's no secret that this is the best scene and the most famous scene of the movie. This is the reason I wanted to revisit this movie was for Scotty Doesn't Know and for Matt Damon having the weirdest cameo of all time as the lead singer of this band who was banging Scott's girlfriend. Okay, I am. We are actually really far off. I apologize. My time frame is completely wrong. Matt what the Damon fuck, was. Manny? Matt Damon was already a big star at this time. A, yeah, a big star. He a big star. A big star. These are the movies that he had done prior to Euro Trip. Hold on. Okay, I just, lost, I just lost my spot. Okay. Goodwill Hunting for sure. Uh, yeah. So prior to Euro Trip. Not that it was a good movie, but he was in Stuck on You. Right. The Born Identity had already come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in uh, this little film that did okay. It was called Ocean's Eleven. Never heard of it. Uh, he'd already done The Talented Mr. Ripley. He'd already done Rounders. He'd already been Saving Private Ryan, The Rainmaker, Courage Under Fire, and then, of course, yes, uh, Goodwill Hunting. So he was, <laughs> he was already well-known, and then things were... Um, about to take off because the following year is the departed. Ooh, very so, nice. Yeah, he's this is not an up and coming Matt Damon. This is a, a well established Matt Damon. Side note, uh I definitely could add rounders to the list of uh, guilty pleasures for uh me as a as a poker player. Big fan of rounders. Yeah, I definitely like potentially the worst on-screen accent of all time with uh, John Malkovich. <laughs> that Russian accent is garbage. Anyway, uh, Euro trip. Uh, Kevin Costner's <laughs> attempt at a Boston accent in 13 days. 13 days? 
13 days later would be uh would give him a, a good running trust me yes i'll uh, i'll take your word for that <laughs> anyway uh scotty returns home drunk and angry and reads an email from his german pen pal mike expressing sympathy for scotty and suggesting they meet in person cooper suggests that mike may be a sexual predator and scotty tells mike to stay away from him Scotty's younger brother informs him that Mika is a common German girl's name. Realizing that he had mistaken her name and that he has feelings for her, Scotty tries to contact her again, but finds that she has blocked his email address. Scotty then decides to travel to Europe with Cooper to find Mika and apologize in person. Okay. So after the low light opening 10 minutes, and then we're given this incredibly fantastic cameo by Matt Damon, who is singing this unbelievably awesome and hilarious song, yeah, we're treated to, in my opinion, the worst scene and hardest scene to accept in the film. This transition of him not knowing that Mika is a girl, thinking he's a guy into a girl, was awkward as fuck. Yeah. This was brutal. Brutal. Either, and frankly, I found it completely unbelievable. That they've, yeah. been, that they've been talking this long and had taken him, and he always thought that this was a guy. Not to mention the fact, I mean, he's composing emails to her in fluent German, yes. and he doesn't know that Mika is a girl's name. Yeah. Like, I know girls named Mika, and I live in Canada. Like, this is, I, I completely am on board with you. This is easily, in a, in a movie full of stupid moments, this is probably the stupidest moment. Yeah, and it was, and it wasn't played well. And again, I I hate, I always hate to to do this. I hate to be a, a like a, a complete fucking, sh- fucking shitty guy. But this Scott McCloughich guy, not yeah. a good actor. He's really not. <laughs> I, I I don't know. He must have the greatest cocksucking skills for him to get this role. Like he must have been on his knees in front of Jeff Schaefer to get this role. No, that was Fiona. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of... Oh, not, not Fiona. Um, Jenny. Uh, I forgot to mention, I love the ongoing joke that they don't look as like Jenny as a, as a girl. She's a guy. Yeah. She's kind of like, yeah, the, like girl, the girl. They're talking, about, they're talking about how all the girls at their high school look like a walrus. And she's like, I'm a girl from your high school. And he's like, no, but like a girl girl. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, 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 I love kind of that. It's, yeah. And not that it's, like, not that it's overly funny. I just love that this group of friends are that close that they don't, they honest, they honestly don't see her as a girl. Yeah. And, and then because they are so open and honest as a, as a friend group with her, they also know that saying she's not a girl is a fun rib to her because they know it annoys her. And that's, and it's a nice depiction of an actual friendship because actual friends, the people that you're closest to are the ones that you treat the worst. Oh, 100%. You try to get under their skin or say the meanest thing you can possibly think of to the people that you love the most. And that, my friend, is true friendship. <sighs> Manny, inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, I, I just... I, oh, this, there you this, go. I, again, I just want to reiterate, this scene was fucking hard to watch because it's so clunky and makes no sense. Yeah, it's really dumb. I mean, it sets up the premise for the whole movie. And again, this is this is a movie that you're just supposed to be having a fun time in Europe. So all this stuff that takes place in Ohio is uh, is really just filler. It's really just let's wait until we get to Europe and then we'll start the fun. Mm-hmm. So 
I agree with you. It's probably the worst scene in the movie. One of them anyway. Um, but you know, the, the rest of the movie has its moments and can make it up, make up for it. Um, one thing I uh, I want to say is that as bad as the lead is in this movie, I like Jacob Pitts as Cooper. I, I think Cooper is uh, is a funny character, and my favorite thing about him is just that I feel like I know people like this. I feel like I went to high school with people like this, just uh, uh, a sexual deviant and a shit disturber, and I, I, I just feel like he felt like a real person. He did, and one of the things uh, I really appreciated about the character of Cooper is that he could have really been taken over the top, and re- they could have really went out there and kind of made him too much of a of a cartoon kind of character, but yeah. Jacob Pitts kept him grounded as much as I hate. I can't believe I'm talking about an acting performance in here. He does really well as Cooper, and some of the things that he does and the trouble he gets into, to me, are quite plausible. And it was his performance that allowed me to believe some of the things that they did and some of the hijinks they got into. Um, were possible he he didn't uh, i guess I, i'm just having a hard time articulating it but I'm, I'm with you what jacob pitts did with the character of cooper harris uh i enjoyed he's not yeah. he's not a scene stealer like like the way that this character in a lot of movies are like the the main character's best friend is always yeah the, the, co- the comic relief guy yeah he's the yeah. scene stealer and everything and jacob pitts really downplayed him or mm-hmm. or he was incapable of making him a scene stealer Either way, either it way, it worked for me. And it could also be that since the since the lead is so bland that uh, your eye just sort of drifts towards whoever whoever wants to say something funny. That could also be it. So true. Uh, all right, so we're leaving for Europe. There's a big, large paragraph on the Wikipedia synopsis. I'm probably going to try to break up into chunks here. Yeah, um, why don't you stick why don't you stick with the chunks in each country? Let's work it that way. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, Scotty and Cooper arrive in London, where they befriend a Manchester United football hooligan firm led by Mad Maynard. After a night of drinking, Scotty and Cooper wake up on a bus on their way to Paris with the hooligans. Okay, so uh, we're in Britain. We're not in Britain for too long. Um, yeah, uh, what did we think of uh, the, the soccer hooligans? I for, again, I forgot that Vinnie Jones was in this movie. Uh, yeah. I did see his name in the credits, which we actually didn't talk about the credit sequence at the beginning. Oh of the yeah. Film. I did say that the opening song is a French language cover of My Generation by The Who. Yes. But yeah, I I do like the opening credits of this movie as well. I found the opening credits just to be a nice change of pace. uh, But a lot of the like jokes in the opening credits were a little ham-fisted and forced. Yeah. Kind of stuff. But it it was it was just it was a different way for the movie to start. And I enjoyed it. Let's move back up to where we are. Uh, Okay. I I knew now with the credits being there, I saw Vinnie Jones' name. I obviously knew where he was going to pop up, and I had forgotten. And we get into the soccer hooligans, which for some reason uh, North American people are completely fascinated by. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we do have a strange fascination uh, with soccer hooligans. As someone who's attended a European soccer game, I can tell you that they exist and they are real. And they are terrifying, and I have shared several beers with them, and they are some of the most hilarious, diehard fans of anything that I've ever met in my life. Oh, and this is what I have written when uh, when this scene came up. Now, granted, this scene where they stroll into an English pub um, being, I guess it's the host pub of this Manchester United uh, hooligan fan club, or whatever they're called, firm, firm. Yeah. This is another weak scene. 
And most of it is because, again, I hate to harp on him, but Scott McAlanovich or whatever the fuck he's called is not a good actor. And it's pretty weak. But Vinnie Jones is always having the time of his life in this kind of role. And the scene itself is pretty good time. But what I have written down is Vinnie Jones, three exclamation marks. Wouldn't it be amazing to party with football hooligans? Yes. And that's kind of all I really have to say about that. I did get a nice kick out of when they... I I didn't get a kick out of them waking up on the firm's bus, but uh, Vinny Jones... What's his name, sorry? Uh, Mad Maynard. Mad Maynard uh, yelling at all the Paris drivers for driving on the wrong side of of the road... I found amusing, and he just—you can also see the bus driver trying not to crack yes, up. Yes, right? <laughs> yes, and I think they show at at the end of the movie they have a, a like a blooper reel of him. He's just going on and on, just ad libbing all this great stuff. And yeah, the bus driver is having the hardest time not breaking <laughs> character, and I think that's what made it a little bit more enjoyable. And it's. <clears throat> It was fine and it was fun, but uh, again, uh, this Scott guy is is not a good actor. Yeah, uh, there's also a scene between Cooper and one of the other members of this uh, hooligan firm where it's just a brief little moment where one of these hooligans is purportedly speaking English, but is just saying like, all these random British swears. Yes, back to back to back to back, and I I just like the I I like that moment there. I mean it. it not that Cooper particularly adds anything to it. I just like how the dialogue is written there. I just think it's really funny. Fair enough. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Uh, in Paris, they meet up with their classmates, Jenny and Jamie, fraternal twins who are touring Europe together. Uh, Jenny and Jamie decide to accompany Scotty and Cooper to find Mika in Berlin. So Paris, basically the only thing that happens is that we fight a robot. I found that scene incredibly annoying. I don't know about you. I, I can tell you that at the time, in 2004... I that definitely was getting belly laughs from me. Yeah, it oh it definitely did. And there, there was definitely a time where I laughed at that scene too. But yeah. that watching time was it not now w- uh, was different. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just it was a poor decision. I think the main thing that annoyed me about this scene was just the sound effects. I think if they had made the decision to have the scene without him doing the sound effects, I would have liked it better. It's just like. It's such a long scene, and he makes those sound effects for so long. Yeah, it just it totally grates on me. I it's find it so annoying. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. The, uh, let's see. Okay, yeah. The other part of Paris is the train sequence. Oh yeah, and we have Fred Armisen as the uh, as the random Spanish or Italian dude. Yes. <laughs> I. I think I enjoyed the build-up to it, and mm-hmm. I like the idea of this guy, which I guess 15 years later, it's not funny because he's literally sexually assaulting Jamie. Yeah. I found it... I found the idea amusing. I found the... What's the word I'm looking for? The execution to be lacking. I, th- I yeah. felt that this could have been an absolutely hilarious scene, and for me, it just kind of turned out meh. Yeah. 
I do also like I like Fred Armisen in general. Um, I, I think if this scene works, it's because of him. Uh, but yeah, overall the scene is is probably a miss with uh, with some potential. Yeah. Oh, they also, before we leave Paris, uh, they do also go to a nude beach where we get to see a bunch of old guys' dicks, which is interesting. Yeah, and it's funny because prior to, and I have it written down here, is prior to this scene, I said the male gaze in this film is astounding. Yeah. (laughs) Because there's lots of lingering shots on women, especially Mm -hmm. there's that one lingering shot on Jenny when she's bent over. Yeah. And there's lots of uh, female nudity. And until this, I was like, I'm like, this film just wouldn't fly today. No, this this film is 100% a product of its era. Like yes. you said, this this was in the post-American Pie boom where everybody needed to capitalize on female female tits and, uh, you know, random sex jokes as much as possible while, while the getting was good. Yeah. Uh, and and it's yeah, just... we got this movie as a result. Yeah, and it's... I guess it's it's fair play, you know, that the guys got to show off their junk uh, <laughs> in a film. So it, this at least the, it kind of equals out there. But I guess uh, uh, I, I don't really. Well, I, I guess there are some people that like to look at cock. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the 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 male nude beach scene, it's weak, and not because of the uh, plethora of penises out there. But uh, the scene itself was just kind of. Juvenile? Yeah, juvenile and just not well-crafted. I did I did enjoy Jamie trying to protect his sister from mm-hmm. taking off her top. And uh but yeah, it was it was it was a weak scene. Yeah, I agree. And they they start like chasing after her at the end, which again in 2019 is pretty rapey. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was rapey back then. It's definitely rapey now. Yeah. Um yeah. I I I kind of like there's one line in the scene that makes me chuckle. And it's when they agree to drop their trunks on three, but <laughs> but Scott and Cooper don't do it, and, and Cooper just goes, "Ha ha! Look at Jamie's penis!" And it makes me laugh. It just—it's so dumb. It, it is. That's joke. a very juvenile joke and a very juvenile prank that guys would play. I do agree. That is that is a funny. It is a funny little moment. Yeah. Um. There is actually. I, I'm not quite sure. It might be right here, but they have. I didn't notice the other things, but when they're traveling to other parts of Europe they do the little map on the dinner table scene That's and right. they pass through Brussels and, and there's Brussels, Brussels sprouts, sprouts. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb but so good that's that's what I said laughing at just about all the jokes anytime I laughed in this movie I usually just said oh my god that's so dumb yeah. but, but that's that's what this movie is it's, it's dumb fun yeah uh, anyway and, and then that's when we uh, get to Amsterdam Okay, so the group travels to Amsterdam, where Jamie is robbed while receiving oral sex in an alley, losing everyone's money, passports, and train tickets. Um, wow, is that all they? That's the only sentence they have about Amsterdam. Okay, so we have uh, Cooper also going to Club Vander Sex. Yes, which is a weird scene, I guess. Again, pretty rapey for uh, for you know, I, I I guess pretty rapey by today's standards, but back then, you know, haha, this guy. Uh, He's taking a dildo in the ass comedy. No, I, I wouldn't call it rapey because, remember, he agreed to everything. Yes, but he's trying to pronounce the safe word. He's doing his best, which admittedly is kind of hilarious that they just have the most unpronounceable, ridiculous safe word of all time in some long Dutch word. 
Um, do you uh, do you remember the name of the two manservants that the uh, dominatrix had? It's funny. I've seen this movie so many times, and I didn't know what their names were. And then last night when I watched it, I was like, "Oh my god, their names are Hans and Gruber." <laughs> Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Yes, That's amazing. <laughs> I love I've seen this movie that. so many times, and last night was the first time I picked up on it. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine you must have gotten a good chuckle at that. That was definitely a good chuckle, but I actually remembered that from when I saw it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess the first time I had, this is sad to say, but I had probably seen Euro Trip a couple of times before I saw Die Hard all the way through for that the first time. That is sad. That is very sad, and I'm ashamed. I'll have to go shower after saying that. Yes, I agree. Um, um, there's also a scene where uh, Scott and uh, oh. Jenny go eat pot brownies. Most cringeworthy scene. You said that uh, the, the scene where he finds out that Mika is actually a girl is the worst scene. I think this is probably the worst scene in the movie. I cringe watching this every time. It's just not funny. and oh, it's, it's so not it's funny. De- it's definitely a product of, again, a product of the times where like there's still a lot of fear around uh, marijuana and what it does. It's just such a dumb fucking scene. Yeah. I don't know. It, it did not do anything for me. I, I agree. It definitely could be, it could definitely be up there for, for worse scene. I, I, I can't, uh, I can't argue with that. I did, I did want to touch on, uh, I did want to touch on the scene where Jamie is getting robbed during oral sex. That is difficult to watch as well. Yep. The, the concept of it is poor. The execution of it is poor. And uh, the acting by, what's his name? Hold on. Uh, Travis, Travis Wester, Wester as Jamie, who throughout this movie is so fun because he's so adorable. Yeah. He's so adorably dorky and goofy. And being a dork myself, he kind of obviously pulled up my heartstrings a little bit. But it's in this scene where he is definitely the weakest. And yeah. I, again... I guess basically for us, besides the Hans Gruber joke, Amsterdam was a waste of time. Yeah. Although I will say there's a tiny little cameo. I don't know if you caught the robber in that scene. Do you know who that is? No. That's a, it's Diedrich Bader. He's a I do relatively know who that succe- is. That's a relatively successful uh, voice actor. He, he also played uh, Rex Quando in Napoleon Dynamite. He voices the character Judah on BoJack Horseman, which, as many people know, is one of my favorite TV shows. Um, as far as I know, I don't have his uh, filmography in front of me right now, but I, as far as I can remember, he's a relatively successful uh, voice actor. Interesting. I'm trying to find... Ah, yeah, there we go. Diedrich Bader as Mugger. Um, he was also on he was Office, in Office Space. Space. Yeah, Office Space, Drew Carey Show, Veep, uh, yada, 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 yada. What else was he in? I, I remember reading through his filmography one time and just being like, holy fuck, this guy's been in a lot. He's going to be in the new Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which I'm sure you will be watching, hopefully. Oh, 100% I'll be watching. Yeah, he's got 202 credits. Yeah, so one or two things he's been in. Yeah, wow. Um, he's been – yeah, he def wow. Anyways, I don't want to look through this guy's – Yeah, exactly. We're not going to make this the Diedrich Bader show. I just thought that was rather interesting. And when he shows up, I just kind of know – I mostly know him from Napoleon Dynamite and from uh, BoJack Horseman. I know him from Office Space. Yeah, and and office space as well. He's the he's the weird neighbor in office yep. space, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's get back to Euro trip here. So we're out of Amsterdam. Uh, they attempt to hitchhike to Berlin, but due to a language misunderstanding, they end up in Bratislava. 
finding a great exchange rate with the U.S. dollar. The group goes to a nightclub, uh, drunk on absinthe. Jenny and Jamie make out with each other, witnessed by Scotty and Cooper, and are horrified when they realize what they're doing. Uh, yeah, so I guess the hitchhiking scene, uh, as someone who speaks a little bit of German, I do really enjoy this scene, actually. Fair enough. Um, his German is absolutely atrocious, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> His acting is even worse in, in the language that he doesn't speak. But I really like the uh, the trucker. Uh, I, I think he's so funny uh, talking about how he's just hopped up on. I think it's uh, he's on uppers and vodka and a little chocolate covered peanuts. Mm -hmm. And the, the miscommunication in the scene could not be funnier for me. I really like it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I keep I, I kept loving that he kept saying that he's not going to berlin yeah yeah me vida berlin yeah and this guy's just like perfect we're going to berlin and even though this is the easiest joke in the entire movie i still got a nice chuckle that all they have is a dollar 83 in bratislavia <laughs> and they can live like kings off of it yeah. I do love it. The the initial Bratislava scene where they transition into the hotel and he tips a guy a nickel and he quits his job and says he's going to go open a hotel. It's again, it's so fucking stupid, yeah, but it's I really super like it. stupid, but I absolutely <laughs> I loved it. That is a pure guilty pleasure joke right there. Yep, absolutely. Um, so then we uh, we go to the nightclub where a European cover of Scotty doesn't know is playing, which is kind of a nice touch. Yes, I do like big. how there's sort of this. There's this whole plot in the background of the song like going viral before going viral was even a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do like that. Uh, the club, I think, is really dumb. Um, it's funny that we're talking about Game of Thrones this week because we have another incestuous pair of siblings, one of whom is named Jamie. Nice segue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I, so I did like that the brother and sister were making out. That did make me laugh. Not this time. But in 2004, I died. Yeah. Died uh, laughing. I will say it is – the incest in this movie is slightly less charming than in Game of Thrones. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, this is – I'm sure I laughed at this joke several times through my teen years. I, I didn't really find this subplot particularly engaging this time. But, you know, teach their own. I do like – again, it usually comes back to Cooper because Cooper's my favorite character in this movie – there's a moment the, the day after yes. where they're waiting for a ride and he just has to get in one final zinger and just be like, oh, here's a fun fact. You made out with your sister, man. Like that's a, that, that gets a chuckle out of me every time too. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, there's also a character in Bratislava uh, who I really like. He's the guy who they first see when they get into town and uh, he's the guy who gives them a ride to Berlin as well. The guy who's like just full of 80s references. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. There, there's a line when they first arrive in Bratislava where um, Scott, I think, asks, is there a train coming soon? And he says, oh, yes, very soon. They are building it now. <laughs> and for some reason, again, a, a stupid joke that makes me laugh. Yeah, his name, uh, I'm I am 100 percent going to butcher it, but uh, his name is Raid Serbesha. Nailed it, I'm sure. And he's been in uh, he was in Snatch. And he's been in other um, he's been in other other movies, but I know him from Snatch. And have you seen Snatch? The I guy, have not. The Guy Ritchie film. Oh wow. Okay, definitely might have to add that onto uh, onto our list of movies. Uh, but he's he's all he's also in he's in Mission Impossible two. Prior to this, uh, he's got some got some other roles, but I really know him from Snatch, where he plays. Um, 
he played uh, what's his character's name? I was like, quickly look it up. Uh, Boris the Blade, um, and it's a great role. Um, you would remember him as the homeless man in Batman Begins. You're right. I would remember him as that. Yeah, and that is that is the most obscure movie fact I now have is that the, <laughs> the, the Slovakian dude from Eurotrip is also the homeless guy in Batman Begins. I love that. Oh, look, he was in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows part one. Ooh, I'll have to tell Jordan that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I recommend, I, I recognize him as Boris the blade from snatch. Gotcha. That's how I, when I see him, I'm like, Hey, it's Boris the blade. All right, so the next day, a Slovak man drives them to Berlin, where they learn that Mika has left for the summer tour group and will be reachable in Rome only for a short time. Jamie sells his Leica camera for plane tickets to Rome. Um, I don't think really anything happens there. Uh, um, not true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please, uh, by all means, lead the way. Well, they go to Micah's house, and they meet his father, and they meet her little brother, who pros- and, and they're German. So we can see where this joke is going. Yes. The only joke you can make in Germany is about Nazis. Hitler. And Hooray. so the little boy decides to draw a little Hitler mustache on his face and proceeds to goose step and Sieg heel behind his father's back as his father's running off this little monologue about Mika and how she was hurt and she's in Rome. And this is supposed to provide uh, a lot of humor. Now... Not that I'm against uh, poking fun at Hitler and Nazism and this. Um, I really wish I could go back in time and see if I found this funny back then. Because uh, it definitely was uh, not funny. I was not, and, and by no means, shape, or form was I offended. But this was really grasping at straws for it laughs. Just, it just didn't really make sense. Yeah. Right? Like, again, I'm not opposed to, like, Hitler jokes or Holocaust jokes as a rule. Yeah. But, like at least have a reason for doing it. Like they, they literally just show up at this, this house and they're like, Hey, you know, it'd be really funny if this kid was goose stepping around the house wearing a Hitler stash. Like it would have been great if he had somehow like, and I can't think of how, but if he'd somehow gotten the mark on his face by accident. Yeah. Then it would have, it would have been more fun, but the kid literally, you watch him and they make a point of it, Mm. draw it on his own face. And it's all this, like connection between him and Cooper. And yeah. while Cooper's reactions are f- fun, this this was you're grasping here, buddy. You're grasping. Yeah. No, I concur. Dumb scene, dumb execution. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do like um I do like that that Jamie sold his camera. It was a nice little friendship moment. Yeah. Um and I liked I liked it. You could actually kind of see the bond it gave them, the characters at in that moment. And I won't lie, I got a, I got a little, uh, I got a little tickle in my heart in that moment. Oh man! Nothing don't in my tell eyes. Me you shed a tear. Don't nope. tell me you shed nope. a tear at your own trip. I, nothing in my eyes. Just a little tickle in my heart. I, right. I love when true friends show their true friendship to one another. Ah, that's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> in Rome, the groups head to Vatican City, where Mika is touring before her summer at sea. Inside the Vatican, Scotty and Cooper try to search for Mika, but accidentally rings the bell that signals the Pope has died. Oh, Scotty right. appears on the balcony and spots Mika in the crowd below. The Swiss guards detain Scotty and Cooper for their actions, but they are rescued by the Manchester United hooligans from London. Scotty finally introduces himself to Mika and confesses his love. Mika is happy to see him, and they have sex in a confessional booth before she leaves for her trip. 
uh, on the flight back to Ohio, Jenny and Cooper give in to their urges and have sex in the plane's laboratory, while Jamie stays in Europe after being hired by Arthur Frommer. So, the Vatican. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch! Is that is that the that's the general review? Yeah, I forgot about the Vatican scene. <laughs> yeah, this was this was really stretching at credulity here. This was it, it, they were obviously trying to get like a big like hilarious kind of slapstick conclusion to this movie. Uh, it was weird. It was rough, <laughs> rough. It was, it was rough. I won't lie. I honestly can't even, I can't even think of anything that was funny or amusing about it. I, 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 yeah, uh, I'm struggling here. Off the top of my head, I would say, uh, again, Cooper is the best part of this movie. He has a couple of good lines when he puts on the Pope hat and he's he's running around I, I think that sequence is kind of funny not like laugh out loud but sort of a chuckle but yeah i mean again the main problem with this movie which i discovered upon the rewatch is that scott is not funny and this no. it, this entire sequence is about scott and yeah. he's not funny you need your lead actor to be to have a draw like as an example while while american pie is a definite ensemble jason biggs on his own is fun to watch. Yes. And you know, like if we go to another one of these comedies, like a, uh, like road trip and, um, Brecken Meyer, he is the lead character. He's not great, but he's still fine on his own. Yeah, totally. Whew, this Scott McClowich is not good. I think all. we've said his last name about 10 different ways in this I episode. Know. That's probably not the end of it. Let's go Scotty M. I'm going to call him Scotty M. So Scotty I, M. Yeah, Scotty M. Who I'm pretty <laughs> sure, I, 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 I hope that you're listening, Scotty M. And I hope that your other films, uh, you definitely improved. You know, this was only your second movie, maybe third if I saw correctly. But you, uh, you were pretty weak. And uh, I won't lay all the blame on you because uh, the director's job is to try and pull a performance from you. Um, and you, uh, yeah, you're, you're weak and, uh, and by no means shape or form can I say that I could do better cause I have no acting skills in me whatsoever. I'm not saying I, I'm better than this person, but wow, he was difficult to watch. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. Everything in that, um, side note, we've talked about a couple things that don't make sense. This movie is funny. And for the most part, most part, excuse me, has a coherent plot that makes sense with action and consequence. However, what the fuck is the Manchester uh, United hooligan firm doing at the Vatican? Very right? true. I, th this probably shouldn't have bothered me as much as it did, but I'm just like, like, they have no, it's just a total deus ex machina for, for some reason. I guess they wanted Vinnie Jones to have like two more lines for some reason. Well, they had to be and, rescued from those, from the palace guards somehow. Yes. You know what, you know what, I, I, <clears throat> oh, sorry to cough right into the mic. I couldn't get to the thing in time as I'm trying to make a point. What mm -hmm. would have worked, in my opinion, is if in the scene with the hooligan firm, if they had mentioned that they were going to Italy or Rome to follow Manchester United, that would have been a nice, uh, a nice way to signify that they were going to be there. 
That literally would have been all it took. That would have been all it took is just one little line of like, yeah, we're going to go see Manchester United play in France. And after that, they're playing in they're playing in Italy. That would have been all that it took. But, you know, they uh, they it didn't quite work out that way, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Scotty confessing his love to Mika was rough. (laughs) Everything about it was rough. Yeah, the middle third of this movie is where it really shines, but the, yeah. the beginning in America and then the ending are just kind of blah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed um, Jenny and Cooper giving into their urges. It was amusing. I won't lie, though, the the end... Uh, are we there yet? Uh, no. Basically, yeah. We're not, we're, we're not at the part that I was going to make a comment on. That's the okay. last paragraph. Okay. Uh, oh, can oh we talk? right. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Go you, go no, you it. go ahead. Okay. The Arthur Frommer thing That's what I was also makes about. no sense. Also <laughs> makes no sense because Jamie is giving a tour in the Vatican falsely based on a book that Arthur Frommer wrote, just facts full of the Vatican, which, hey, fair enough. But then he's all, Arthur Frommer's also in the tour group for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then why is he touring the Vatican and quizzing the tour guide on shit about the Vatican when he literally wrote the book on the Vatican? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. This is again, another contrivance that I was just, uh, didn't ruin the movie for me, but I was just kind of like, okay, I guess, I guess this guy just likes touring the Vatican and being a know-it-all asshole. Like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I think what they're just like, they're like, Oh, we need an ending for Jamie. Yeah. Okay, he's he's a he's a traveling nerdy dork. Let's hook him up with the other nerdy dork that he kind of like. I, in my opinion, I think what would have been great is if the uh, the woman that he was flirting with and and um, gave him oral sex had somehow come there and they fell in love. That mm-hmm. would have been much better. Like I I love that Jamie got his like like sex moment as well yeah because the you know it's always fun for the dork to kind of get some but it's him this this is the pinnacle that he gets and yes i understand that he's really into sightseeing and all this kind of stuff i just would have liked him to get something a little bit more substantial and yeah i guess yeah i guess i'm really saying that getting great head is better than a a well-paying job (laughs) <laughs> yes and being able to sightsee in uh, europe right yeah right i guess yeah as the film comes to an end scotty comes to oberlin college in the fall term during a phone conversation with cooper who is now dating jenny mika knocks on his door having been assigned to the same room due to another misunderstanding about her name scotty and mika embrace and get into bed together now this the final scene here is a mixed bag for me because this is actually one of the few times that Scott actually gives off a fairly good performance. He's yeah. acting happy. He's happy to be here. He's had a good time in Europe. And him and the conversation with Cooper over the phone is actually well played out. Again, of course, it's a movie. As in all movies, you have to give a suspension of disbelief. But if Mika applied for a col- applied to a college there would be somewhere on the form that would say if she was male or female. Maybe not in uh, 2019 where the, there's more than this two is genders. The same yes. thing, this is the same thing as saying somebody with the name Jamie. They'd be like, well, hopefully it's, 
Hopefully it's a girl if we're gonna put her in a female a female dorm. Hopefully it's a girl. Yeah. Like I, I have a unisex name and there's Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Am I just gonna be put in the in the girls' dorm? That might be cool, but it wouldn't make any sense in a movie. Yeah. It was <laughs> yeah. A... So, last scene's really dumb. But but that we already knew, right? Yeah. But this is as sad as it is, this might be the best performance of the movie by Scott by Scotty M. I uh, I really hope Scotty M isn't listening to this because we have uh, we have shit on him. Yeah, this is probably the most I've shit on. Oh no, that's not true. I've definitely shit on Remy Malik more than I've shit on Scotty M. Did you though? <laughs> I, don't I don't know if you did. I'll leave it up to the listeners. You guys can let me know. Have yeah. I shit more on Scotty M or have I shit more on Remy Malik? Yes, let us know uh, at our social media who had the worst performance, the <laughs> Oscar-winning Rami Malek or Scotty M from Eurotrip. <laughs> I'm going to put up a poll. <laughs> so, that is Eurotrip. We've uh, we've been through 92 minutes of movie, we've been to several different countries, and it's been 15 years since. Manny, uh, final thoughts, Eurotrip. Uh, it's... It's if you're looking for something breezy and light that you don't have to think about and might get a couple chuckles, uh, slap on Eurotrip. It was, like I said at the top of the show, it wasn't painful to watch. There are some painful scenes, but they don't last that long. There's a couple amusing moments, but if you're looking for belly laughs and a great time, I would say avoid Eurotrip. It's not gonna be, it's it's not gonna be that funny. Yeah, I uh, I would agree with just about all of that. Look, this was a movie I enjoyed in my teen years. I was dreading this conversation, and I did not honestly think you would like this movie even close to where you as much as you like it now, even though you're not exactly giving it a glowing review anyway. So I'm glad we could both at least get some enjoyment out of this. Um, but yeah, this movie doesn't hold up. It's uh, there's some outdated jokes. Uh, there's some you know bad acting in the lead. There are some really great moments. Uh, and overall, I think I can still have a good time with this movie. But I watched it uh, probably about the only way, or at least the best way to enjoy it, and that's with a couple of friends with a beer in my hand. This is not uh, a sit down and analyze and really think about it. This is not like uh, Annihilation, which we watched a couple weeks ago. Yes. This is this is a really <laughs> dumb. Put it on the background. Have some have some beers with your friends. Watch your <laughs> trip sort of movie. That's what this movie is. Yeah, uh, Sam, your uh, favorite scene. Uh, favorite scene. It, again, we already spoiled it, but uh, it's gonna be Matt Damon's. God doesn't know. No question. Yeah. Uh, no question at all. If I'm to give a runner-up, to just not give the easy answer, um, that's that's honestly sort of a tough one. I would say probably Bratislava. I think there's a lot to be had in uh, Bratislava for for comedy. Um, so yeah, I'll go with that. Uh, obviously, for me, it's uh, it's the Matt Damon cameo, hands down, <laughs> easy, easy peasy. But again, if if I'll have to if I have to pick, then it's the dollar eighty three scene. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> uh, go ahead, ask. Uh, Sam, what do you give this movie out of five? Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I really don't. I uh, I think I'm going to be a complete homer and give it a three. Now, I want to be clear. That is a generous, generous three. This movie was one that I liked 
in my teen years mostly. I think that there's still some fun to be had with it. There's a lot that does not work at all. There's mostly some stuff that does, but yeah, I think this is a this is a generous three. If in theory we had a point system where half points were allowed, maybe it wouldn't get that. But of course, uh, as Manny is uh, the the founder of the no half points system, uh, it'll have to remain at a three out of five. I give it a solid two. A solid two. Yeah. A hard two. I, you know, that's fair. That's I fair could grade. not give it a three, because to me, a three would mean that. I would be recommending people to watch this movie. I do. I think this movie has its audience. It has its moments. It has its sort of niche that it can hang out with. And they were back in 2004. I would not recommend this movie to everyone. I would not recommend this movie to people like yourself, Manny, who are (laughs) film nerds. I would not recommend this to my parents. I would not recommend this to a lot of people. And I have some friends who, you know, are sex-crazed maniacs and alcoholics who I would definitely recommend this movie to. So, to each their own. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Just like there are people that think Transformers is a good movie. So, everyone has every movie has their own audience. This, uh, I, I wish I could have given this movie a passing grade, but there's just too much wrong with it for me to give it a passing grade. So it's it's a it's a it's an easy two for me. It definitely like this is nowhere near a one. I've yet to give out a one, and I dread oh. the day that I have to watch a one movie for our for, Look, for this podcast. Do you have a least favorite movie of all time? Yeah, and I'm not going to reveal it because you and I have talked about doing that episode. Ooh, very true. But there there are ones in existence. Then. Oh yeah. Oh oh yes, there are. Okay. All right. We will we will get to those at some other point. So that uh, that wraps up. Oh, hold on, Sam. I need you to go for a second. <laughs> oh, do I? Oh, yeah. Manny just is having a coughing fit right now. So I will. Uh, I will fill the dead air with my voice until he recovers. <laughs> Welcome back, Manny. Thanks, Sam. Thanks so much. <laughs> I guess I probably could have just put us on pause. Yeah, whatever. I, what can whatever. You do? Um, that wraps up our our uh, thoughts on uh, Euro Trip. Um, once again, if you could. Uh, Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and give us a positive review, it will increase our profile so other people can find us. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can also give us an email at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and anywhere, I think almost anywhere else you get your podcasts. That uh, wraps us up here for Eurotrip. For the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast, I am Manny Manuel. Scotty doesn't know. Scotty doesn't know. I'm Sam Rammer. Adios. And welcome to the first ever post-credit scene of the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. I can't believe people stuck around till after the credits. You lucky listener, you. What yeah. are you, Marvel? I know, right? Post credit scene in here, so cheeky. Yeah, very cheeky and super nerdy. Welcome to the we, first. We, we can't let people go without talking about Game of Thrones a little bit. We could not possibly do this. That is true, and that's what we're going to be doing uh, with our episodes. Is each week we are going to be revisiting and and talking about uh, the season eight Game of Thrones episodes each week as they play out. Uh, down the line, we'll probably have other things that we do in our post-credit scene, but for now, it's going to be Game of Thrones discussion. 
Yeah, so um, Manny, you said you've seen this episode once, correct? And I, I, I rewatched it last night. I watched it when it premiered, and then uh, again last night. So um, yeah, we're I guess we're just gonna sort of do this as a free form thing. Um, we do sort of have a bunch of different plot lines in this movie. We have um, Cersei in King's Landing. We have the Greyjoys in the Narrow Sea. Uh, we have uh, Winterfell, I guess. That would probably be just about it. We have uh, Daenerys and Jon Snow and the whole gang. The episode is called Winterfell, um, and that's where the majority of this episode takes place. Um, we open on Jon and Daenerys marching in with the Unsullied, and there's a lot of stink eyes going on. So I like the culture that's been established. Also, I mean, Game of Thrones has such a good reputation for world world building and all this stuff i really like how they've established the pride of the northerners and sort of the general personality of the north and you can just sort of sense the tension and the disgust at the fact that john is kneeled to the to the southern queen it's a it's a large point of contention yeah and just before we continue on we're obviously going to be spoiling this yeah if you haven't seen this episode you're not listening to us anyway but yes yeah and and we'll be spoiling past episodes of game of thrones as well just as a heads up for those of you that haven't watched any game of thrones there's going to be lots of spoilers so just as a heads up we we should have mentioned that at the top but i I want to throw that in there as uh as sam really just described maybe the first 40 seconds of the episode anyways yes very true um Since this is actually, I think, the first time we're talking about Game of Thrones, um, mm-hmm. Sam, are you a big Game of Thrones fan? I would say yes if I didn't know some really big Game of Thrones nerds. Mm-hmm. So I never read the books. Um, I have watched all seven seasons before this. I did try to finish a rewatch before season eight premiered. I didn't quite get there. I got about halfway through season five. So I uh, didn't quite get there. But I have seen most of Game of Thrones twice. Uh, so yeah, I guess you could say I'm a relatively big uh, Game of Thrones nerd. What about you? I'm a casual fan. I, yeah. The fa- fantasy genre is not my favorite genre. Um, I I only started watching this maybe a year and a half ago. I did fall in love with the series. Uh, for me, it's a lot more of the technical aspects of this series that really drew me into it. And as it started to dive more in towards fantasy, um, which you and I have discussed, my appreciation of this series has dwindled. Mm. As it's the the main point that I loved about the show so much was the political intrigue, the backstabbing, the positioning of power. And right now it just kind of feels like it's... Um, these people with swords against the walking dead it's the white walkers are coming yes i understand they're a major part of it but the idea of these people fighting white walkers does not appeal to me at all it it to me it's literally just a, an offshoot or a different version of the walking dead well, that's really too bad to hear because i i do really enjoy the series i i think that the the undead is sort of they're sort of secondary in the season i i or in the series, excuse me. I agree that the most interesting part is the politics. Um, I'm trying to find a George R. R. Martin quote right now about uh, about Lord of the Rings and the influence that Tolkien had on him. Um, I think this is it here. Lord of the Rings had a very medieval philosophy that if a king was a good man, the land would prosper. 
We look at real history, and it's not that simple. Tolkien can say that Aragorn became king and reigned for a hundred years, and he was wise and good, but Tolkien doesn't ask the question, what was Aragorn's tax policy? Right, like that's I think that's a good indication of where the where the fun lies in uh, in Game of Thrones. It's mm-hmm. it's the politics. It's the it, it's right in the title. It's the game. It's yes. And it's that, all and of the little interactions, and I think we're probably going to lack that a little bit, get, especially given that the main antagonist now is the Night King, right? And the the Night King is not really a character. The Night King's an entity, which is which is fine, but there's no there's no reasoning with the Night King. There's no there's no game of chess that's going on behind the curtains. It's just sort of try to gather as big an army as you can and kill the dead, right? Yeah, and that's why my interest has waned. And yeah. I'm I'm in, intrigued to see where this this final season goes and how they wrap up the threads that they left dangling. And that's kind of really the only reason I'm watching. <laughs> I'm hopeful that it will recapture my attention. But last season, season seven... I really didn't care much about it. Maybe we should have started a little bit with overall thoughts. D- did you did you enjoy this episode even? I guess it's something I should ask you. Uh, I, I'll, no, I didn't. Um, but mm. that's because there wasn't a lot going on. But this is, if you look at it in the bigger picture, this episode puts the chess pieces in place for where they need to be for the story to unfold. So I understand why this episode is the way it is, but I found the episode itself boring. There really wasn't anything all that intriguing or awesome or in all honesty memorable about it. It's kind of no. it's it's the kind of episode that we will not probably ever talk about. Again. Except for right I, now. <laughs> again, like again, like yeah, no, I know what we, you mean. It, if you ever revisit season eight, you're not going to be pumped to watch Winterfell. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. There's not a lot going on in this episode. I would argue the main appeal of this episode comes from the reunions that we see. So, Jon Snow and Arya meet again for the first time since uh, season one, episode two. Uh, Jon Snow and Bran reunites, uh, Jon Snow and Sam reunite. We get a whole lot of reunions in this episode, and I think that's where the main appeal comes from. It's sort of a cathartic, like, after eight seasons of waiting, we've finally gotten these reunions. We got Arya reuniting with the Hound, Arya reuniting with uh, Gendry, and, like, there's all these relationships that were fleshed out earlier that are are now getting paid off on. Side note, uh, now that I've mentioned Arya and the Hound, how fucking awesome was their reunion, though? When when he says, uh, last time I saw you, you left me for dead. And she says, first I robbed you. <laughs> I, uh, I, I definitely liked their reunion. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Arya. She's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. That's still, uh, that's she- still alive. Yes, that's very true. Um, I don't particularly care about Gendry, so I won't get uh, really into that. Um, how can we talk about Bran for a second? Because yep. Game of Thrones has had a Bran problem for several seasons now, uh-huh. and that is that they've gone in too boring a direction, and it's too late to reverse course now. Now that Bran is the three-eyed raven, he is the most boring character in the entire show, and they don't know what to do with him. They've made him both too powerful and too boring somehow, which is not easy to do. It's You might say it's a classic Captain Marvel problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't really disagree with anything you said. I'm 
really hoping that uh, he uh, enjoys a quick death uh, early in the season because yeah, he's far too powerful and 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 completely fucking uninteresting. Yeah, um, I do find it kind of unintentionally hilarious though how he's just lurking around the courtyard for the entire episode. Yep, there's like four or five different shots of him just staring at people as they have conversations and it's unintentionally hilarious yeah i that i did enjoy i'm trying to like it's so funny the you were so correct in one of the many great skills of this show is its world building ability mm-hmm. and i don't again because i'm not a huge fan a lot of characters names escape me um mm-hmm. but there's that one I guess lady uh, of one of the northern clan. She's the young girl that. Uh, Liana Mormont. Yes, she is fantastic. Yes, I love her to death. I love her to death. I love how strong she is for such a young girl. It's such a great little character who doesn't really have a huge part, but every scene she's in, I'm transfixed by her. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I remember in one of the previous seasons when she's introduced, uh, I think it's Davos that says to her, she she pledges a bunch of her soldiers to, I think at that point it's still Stannis's cause, and he says something like, if the soldiers of Bear Island are half as ferocious as their lady, uh, the the wildlings are in for quite a bit of hurt or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And like every scene that she's in, you totally get that from her. It's really well acted. I just found her actress's name and I, I've lost it. Uh, Bella Ramsey. Ah. Uh yeah, she uh, she kills it. Yeah, she's t- one of my tip- favorite minor characters. Yeah, I agree. She pro- she probably is my favorite minor character. Um, speaking of minor characters, uh, Euron. So Euron Greyjoy is uh, becoming a villain, or he has been becoming a villain the last couple of seasons. Uh, I don't know. I-, I think he has some really funny lines. He he definitely has some interesting moments, but mm-hmm. it's sort of a problem for me that his only character trait is that he wants to fuck Cersei. Mm-hmm. That seems to be just about his only character trait. He has some great lines, don't get me wrong. There was a line like a season ago where he talked about putting a finger in the queen's bum or something like that. You know, it was it, 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 He has some funny lines, but he's basically just a kind of a sexual deviant. I don't yeah. know. I'm with you. I don't, I don't think much of him. Yeah. I, I also find it really funny that... Uh, Cersei gave this really epic line. She said, I wrote this down. Uh, you want a whore? Buy one. You want a queen? Earn her. And then about 10 seconds later, she fucks you on anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of ridiculous. Um, so we, we have a setup with Braun at some point in this episode as well. Uh, he's being hired to uh, kill Tyrion and Jaime probably. Uh, Manny, is he going to do it? No. No, of course he's not going to do it. He's probably going to take all the gold and uh, and try to run with it. I'm assuming Bronze he... another character I enjoy. Bronze a great character. There's a great interaction with him when he's uh, when he's banging the prostitutes yeah. at the beginning of this episode. Uh, Kyburn interrupts him, and there's a really funny line where he says uh, he says to Bronze, oh, "Poor girl, the pox will take her in the air." And Bronze <laughs> just has like a little like, wait, which girl? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's really good but yeah i i personally think that braun's gonna die this season just because i think he's gonna get too greedy he's gonna want to he's going to 
shows some sort of character growth where he either rejects the money and doesn't kill Tyrion and Jaime, or he's going to try to get the best of both worlds and take the money and remain friends with Tyrion and Jaime, and it's going to wind up getting them killed. That's that's my prediction for Bronn. I, I do agree. I think Bronn is going to die, but I think he's going to die a hero's death. I think he's going to die because he chooses the moral path instead of the the lucrative path, and that yeah. choice is going to cost him his life. I mean, that's that's sort of Game of Thrones in general, right? Like, that's why Ned Stark died way back when in season one yep. is because he was honorable, and that's one of the that's why things my, that this... That's why my favorite character, Rob Stark, died. Yeah, exactly. Rob Stark's your favorite character, really. He was, yeah. Yeah, he was a pretty good character. Had a smoking hot wife, too. He sure did. <laughs> um what else do we have here uh we have theon rescuing yara that's i mean kind of a small part do do we care about the Greyjoys at this point no yeah i i, I liked theon in early seasons i like the plot with him becoming reek yeah. um i think the biggest problem with theon is that the most interesting thing about him was ramsey and ramsey has been dead for about two seasons now yep i'm i'm with you 100 percent uh, we get our first hint at uh, a marriage between Jon Snow and Daenerys. Davos brings it up. Um, Davos I'm is just... a great character. Davos is a fantastic character. Uh, what do we think of the CGI, especially of the dragons? <gasps> Thank you for going there. Uh, yeah. I was surprised at how weak it was. Mm-hmm. The dra- yeah, I... the dragons themselves look great, but that flying scene with uh, Daenerys and Jon uh, was really weak. I couldn't believe it how weak it was, actually, to be honest. The, yeah, the, I think the, the faraway shots, like the wide, the wide angle shots, where there you can see the dragon in full, were yeah. were were just fine. But the close ups of when Daenerys and Jon were on the back, and they're supposed to be flying, and you can you could you can see the transition from them and the dragons and the background. It was so apparent. It was difficult to watch, and I was like. I didn't realize we were in the early 2000s again. Yeah, I think the biggest problem with TV, especially when it comes to CGI, is that your budget basically stretches across an entire season, right? So I, I don't think the CGI budget, even for a show like Game of Thrones, is uh, it is as lucrative as we expect it to be, Yeah, personally. It, and it uh, showed up there. Don't yeah, get me wrong, abs- the dragons still look great when they're by themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, uh, I think a moment I'll want to spend a little bit more time on is, uh, Daenerys meeting Sam and dropping the news on him that his dad and brother are dead. Uh, your thoughts there? Uh, the highlight of the episode is that, or something we'll get to in a bit. Yep. Um, it was spectacularly performed by, um, you know, it's funny as I can't, I actually don't know the actor's names, but I'll John, just... John Bradley is uh, Sam. Okay, I'm just going to call by the character names. Yeah, sure. Fantastic acting by Daenerys and by Sam. It was um, the way that Sam was trying to hold it in, in front of his queen, who he has pledged his loyalty to, knowing full well that it was all within her right to do what she did, but this was his father and his brother that she executed. And it's a fantastic scene, and I love that that dangling thread was finally taken care of. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things you can do as an actor to sort of convey a bunch of conflicting emotions all at once like this. Like, Sam never had a great relationship with his father. 
Uh, but it was still his dad, and he can't help but feel sad, of course, knowing that his dad burned alive at the hands of the queen he just pledged his allegiance to. So I, I think he does a really good job of portraying these conflicting emotions. He even tries cracking a joke and says, oh, well, at least I'll be allowed back home now that my brother's the lord. And Daenerys has this look on her face like, yeah, about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's uh, it's almost sort of darkly funny. Mm-hmm. Uh that uh, that line there where he's like, well, at least I'll be allowed back home now that my brother's a lord, and it's, uh, not so fast. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's a, it's well it's a well done scene, and, and for me it was the highlight of the episode, except for um, the ending for me. Yes, so uh, Sam has to go off, and uh, he he sees Bran briefly. Uh, who still is lurking in the courtyard. Somebody really needs to wheel him away from there. Uh, yeah, well, he's probably stuck there. There's no way in all that mud and muck that he's going to be able to push himself around, so yeah. I understand why he's stuck in that courtyard. I don't think Winterfell is particularly wheelchair accessible. So. <laughs> I concur. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then uh, Sam has another scene pretty much right after that uh, where he tells Jon Snow his real parentage. Yeah. Um, I actually liked, there was one little detail in this scene that I really, really liked. I saw it pointed out in a, uh, or a message board online or whatever you want to call it. Um, Jon Snow's last interaction with Ned, uh, is just as Jon is leaving for the Night's Watch early in season one. Yeah. When they split at the, like basically at the crossroads. Yeah, basically. Um, so John asks him about his mother and why he doesn't know anything about her. And Ned Stark says a line. He says, I'll tell you what, next time we talk or next time we meet or next time we see each other, I'll tell you about your mother. And the moment where he, uh, Jon Snow finds out about his true parentage is in front of a statue of Ned Stark. So I, oh, I like that little touch. Oh, the, the shitty. Oh, what? I'm just trying to remember because John had been back to Winterfell prior to this. Yes. And I was just wondering if there, if there was a scene with him down in the catacombs. I don't know if there is. I, Maybe there is. I hope not because that would make this even better. Yeah. So uh, Sam does tell John, hey, you're the rightful king of the Seven Kingdoms. And by the way, you're also banging your aunt. Uh, but that's sort of, you know, in Game of Thrones, that's like, oh, he's only banging his aunt, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I didn't um, like that at the end of last season. I'm like, oh, come on. You guys have already used this angle. What, what do you mean? Well, they already have the incest between Jamie and Cersei. Like, why, I see. Like, why go back to the well? I think it's it's less about the incest. I think it's going to be more about the dynamic for the throne. So John now is the rightful heir to the Seven Kingdoms. And he's pledged his allegiance to Daenerys. We've seen how strong-minded she is and how determined she is to get this throne over eight fucking seasons. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably going to be cause for a little rift. So, like you said, this episode gets the chess pieces into place. And I think this is a very, very, very big one right here is Sam dropping this truth bomb on uh, on Jon Snow. Yep. It's also a well-acted scene, I think, by Jon Bradley as Sam again because he... Uh, when he first meets John in in the catacombs, he has he's still very upset from his conversation with uh, Daenerys, where he's found out that his dad and brother are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he asks John, uh, "Would you have done it?" and uh, and all these things. Uh, he's he's just still very upset, and he's 
basically saying to Jon Snow, hey, it's been a while since I've seen you, buddy, and it's great to see you, but your new girlfriend's kind of a bitch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's uh, if there's anything else really to be said there, but I, I liked uh, both of Sam's main scenes in this in this episode. Probably yeah, the highlight for me. I'm with you there, for sure. Um, What else do we have here? Oh, uh, we go back to the wall briefly. We see uh, Tormund... Uh, did you jump out of your fucking chair when that dead kid on the wall was reanimated? No, not at all. I saw it coming a mile away. Okay, fair enough. I uh, I jumped slightly. I am so happy that Tormund is alive, though, because uh, he is one of my favorite minor characters as well. He's and, fun. Uh, yeah, whatever the other guy's name is in the Night's Watch who sees him, he says, Get back! He's got blue eyes! And he says, I've always had blue yeah. eyes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great little yeah, moment. Yeah, I did like that too. I've always had blue eyes! <laughs> so, uh, what we really wanted to talk about, I think we are at the end of the episode here. Big moment. Plays out silently. No words. Jamie returns to Winterfell. He looks over and still lurking in the courtyard having not moved for the entire episode is Bran Stark, the little kid who we pushed out the window in season one, episode one. Uh, what do you think of that moment? It was, it was the highlight of the episode for me. And, and this is where I got excited and like great, great filmmakers and storytellers. That's where they ended it. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's just a tip of the cap to the storytellers and the showrunners uh, who know how to do this so well. Uh, I'm very excited for the next episode. I and it's so fun because so much has happened. Uh, I completely forgotten that this would be the first time that these two have seen each other since their only encounter. Yeah, this episode definitely serves to get all the pieces into place, like you said, but it also is really a reunion episode, I think. Like, yeah. like I, I listed off so many of the reunion, reunions that we have already. I am so curious to see how Jamie and Bran play out. And we'll, I think we'll maybe get to see, hopefully, a little bit more interesting side of Bran because it'll sort of be a test. Like, he, he keeps saying, oh, I'm, I'm no longer Brandon Stark, I'm the Three-Eyed Raven, and he's been really boring for, like, three seasons, and it's been terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll get to see maybe if there's a little bit of personal grudge left there right we'll get to see if there is any piece of brandon left in there uh because this is the guy who fucking paralyzed him this yep. is the guy who tried to murder him uh, out of pure self-interest and it also goes to show just how far jamie's come as a character in seven seasons and and one episode yeah yeah jamie and jamie's a, another character that i enjoy i've i've enjoyed <laughs> watching him grow and change and adapt <laughs> And then credits roll. So that is uh, season eight, episode one of uh, Winterfell. Uh, do you have anything you want to add? No, I am cautiously optimistic about this final season. Um, I, I do, like I said, I, I did enjoy, uh, I did enjoy the show up until the last season, where it just feels like everything's coming to a head. Yes, I understand. Again, for all you Game of Thrones fans out there, probably freaking out. They said winter was coming since season one. I, I get it, but. The allure for the show for me was the political maneuvering and the stuff about the Game of Thrones. I'm hoping that with the revelation of who uh, Jon Snow really is and all this kind of stuff that we may see some of it. Um, This epic battle that is going to be coming to a head soon between the, I guess for lack of a better word, the humans and the the Night Walkers, I, 
honestly, that episode, while it would probably be visually fun, it doesn't appeal to me. I'm more excited about the political maneuverings of these characters as they all vie for the Iron Throne. Yeah, no, I would agree with most of that. I think seasons one through six, I was very excited about Game of Thrones. Season seven definitely set me back a bit as far as the enjoyment went. Um, But nonetheless, I enjoyed this episode. I think it was definitely an episode for the hardcore fans because we got the reunions we've been waiting so long for. One that I didn't touch on was Tyrion and Sansa. They're reunited for the first time since Joffrey's wedding. Oh, right. Yes. Um, So there's there's a lot of reunions in this episode that are sort of, uh, you know, something that fans have been waiting for for a long time. So for that, I I can't really fault this episode too much. But yeah, there's no if, if you're into Game of Thrones for the battles, there's no real battles in this episode. If you're in it for the political maneuvering, there's not a lot of that. It's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of, you know, speculation about what's going to happen. And it's a lot of asking, like, oh, what should we do about X problem? So I'm hoping that the rest of the season, uh, you know, turns turns up the throttle just a little bit, turns up the gas, turns up the heat. Um, but I think this is a fine setup episode it was fine it was a good episode i guess yeah i'm with you there i i concur with everything you say i like i said this episode was all about putting the the pieces in place uh i i love your idea of the reunions all the reunions we got you know taking care of dangling plot threads uh, i'm i am i am looking forward to seeing where it goes all right so that wraps up the first ever post credit scene for the samuel Emanuel movie podcast Sam and Manny will return next week in episode 54, Road to Perdition.